Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we sit down with WebDM's Jim Davis to talk about Dungeons & Dragons, Dungeon Mastering, and various other RPGs, so stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. But we have a very special guest with us today. It is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jim Davis from WebDM. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> really <Yeah>. great. <laughs> you seem so excited in this early, early morning to be here. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I, the whole, I don't remember when exactly I got up this morning, but it was before sunup. Oh, so goodness. Kind of like a whole day has already happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're super happy that you decided to come on our show this morning, um, and we're just going to chat about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, before the stream started, that. we were talking about um, different conventions, and you just mm -hmm. got back from PAX South, correct? I did. I did. Um, it's a, it was our first convention that we did. We actually did the last, our first one last year. Oh, okay. And so, um, it, you know, we had kind of, I don't know, just sort of a, already a romance to it. <laughs> it's in uh, San Antonio, we, uh, Texas. We normally shoot in Austin, Texas. It's just mm -hmm. like not that far away. Um, but we were only able to go uh, for about half a day on Saturday this year. And it's, I like it, right? Like I, video games are a part of my life that mm -hmm. I, don't have time for anymore but i love to like kind of keep up with what's going on and like looking forward to the day i have the free time again to like dive back into whatever current gen console there is or vr whatever and yeah uh so i i, I enjoy being around it and um I like the table. There's a tabletop section there, and I like to represent. You know? Yeah, I was about to say it's probably a small. Like I, I lived in Seattle for a while, so PAX there is just bombarded by video games because you've got Nintendo there and Microsoft. Um, and then there was always this kind of like small cubby of tabletop games that seem to have grown and grown and grown until it's now PAX Unplugged has their own little section of it. But right. I'm assuming PAX South is also video game heavy. Very video game heavy, uh, some board games and such, but uh, it's, I would say it's it's a, like a tabletop section that's sizable enough that we couldn't find uh, like seating at it. And oh, okay. uh, like last year, we, we were just trying to run an impromptu game. We're like, oh, there's a whole area over there. You can just go like play games thinking it'd be totally easy and no problem. And then, you know, you're hunting for a table. So I remember it being very crowded. It was crowded this year. So. Uh, like Adventurers League was always full up, and um, I don't know. I, it's it seems as though it's a healthy uh, part of the hobby now, and yeah. I, I like to I'd love to see that right because for years it was a dirty little secret. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, no, you don't. What are those books? No, don't worry about that. You don't read. It's part of your hobby. Forget that. You know. <laughs> What's your favorite video game? Out of curiosity, since you said you were a big gamer. Oh my god! Uh, if if in, in terms of just. Um, hours of my life yeah. uh, <laughs> sunk into something it would either it's a um a tie between europa universalis 3 this sort of like uh world strategy sim game where you start in like the 1400s and go up to the late 1800s and i don't know it is it, it appeals to like a very meticulous uh obsessive uh, side of me 
Uh, and then Total War is the other one, the battle, the sort of strategy battle game. Total War, Warhammer, come on. Yeah. And see, I, I, I stopped, I stopped uh, being able, <laughs> I, I don't have a PC that would, that runs them anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all these, all those years, I was like, all you had, all you guys had to do is team up with Games Workshop. Like, oh, you need, it'd be an amazing game. Like, why hasn't this happened? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, PC gaming, I'll see you guys in 20 years. And they're like, oh, now that he's gone. Yeah, we got to make all of these games. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, anyway. It is so good. Yeah, I've just sunk 80 <laughs> hours into it just this past week. I've been playing it a lot. But yeah. So it's super cool. Jordan's, uh, we're going to good cop, bad cop because Jordan's going to throw you them softballs. But I'm here for those hard hitting questions. I'm not letting you off. I have heard. That's great that you actually have uh, been working with the Zentarum quite a bit, but I've uncovered, and I believe you're actually a Demir spy, aren't you? Uh, easily, right. I mean, I, it, it's um, it's not something I like to talk about openly or, or for that matter, you know, would reveal the full truth of, but uh, Demir, uh, you know, part of Brig and Darth, uh, you know, in whatever I need to be, there's probably one of the Eberron houses I'm, <laughs> as well. uh, yeah, just throw them all in there yeah. sure right? like why limit yourself to one prime material right. <laughs> no so we've had we've seen dungeons and dragons really explode this last year uh with all of these supplements coming out the books are coming out at a faster pace we got campaigns coming out at a faster pace we're seeing other things besides forgotten realms the big stalwart what do you mm-hmm. think about all that? What what I mean, you guys are live and breathe Dungeons and Dragons content right now. Right. What do you yeah. feel about where we're at with it right at the moment? I I, I last year was my year to uh, take a break from fifth edition. I you know as uh, you know as YouTubers D and D is sort of like always going to be the big draw. You when you venture outside of that. Um, you know you start getting less eyeballs on the content. And as much as I love to just sort of chat about D and D. I also have make decisions like that when we're making videos and the like. And so I was like, I need a bit of a break. I'm going to run my one game of fifth edition. That's my game. It's weird. It's gonzo. It's science fantasy. It's, it's not for everybody. Um, and play other systems, other games. And it's been really refreshing because as I returned back to fifth edition and Ravnica kind of pulled me back in to like, Oh, what's going on over here? Uh, I'm excited, right? Their team's grown. They've been hiring like crazy um i didn't catch the uh the streams and spoilers uh thing from a few weeks ago but i kind of read a recap of it somewhere and it's it seems as though they're going to pick up the pace of of production and i'm i'm excited right like i i I want them to feel free to experiment to do things differently to not feel like they've got to always cater to this mix of uh, you know like the nostalgia crowd by pulling on Mm. D's lore and the like and also the people who are the new players coming in or coming in through streaming, I'd like for them to feel that they can cater to a lot of different audiences and offer a lot of different products uh, because that's what makes the hobby great. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, did, Oh, go ahead. Lucian. They, they did spoil the next campaign might be, is going to be a nautical campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe laser principalities. <laughs> I mean, that's my dream, right? Like that's what I want. Cause that's, I, I was like that part of uh, Eberron, but uh, you could do like up and down the sword coast or you know, who knows, right? Maybe just do something new, right? Like, Ooh, we could do that. That dare to dream of something yeah. new, a new campaign <laughs> setting unique to fifth edition would be kind of awesome. Right. 
I really kind of wish that they would do something like that, like like to be able to build a new kind of like what they did for Eberron, where they kind of sent out a bunch of uh, here, everybody write us a sentence about your thing. Okay, we like that sentence. Now write us a paragraph. Now write us a paper on Mm -hmm. on this world and then take the best one. And so you kind of you you filter out these really great ideas to like a really great idea. And Eberron is just beloved by so many people. Um, It would be interesting if they did something like that again. But. Uh, I, I'm right there with you because to me, Eberron like so encapsulated a third edition style of, of D and D. And as much as I think fifth edition fits uh, a lot of different versions of Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of different ways you can play it. Like I want to see something that's built from the bottom up with fifth edition's assumptions in mind and, and that all of it's baked in instead of what I feel is like opposite where they're taking all this lore and stuff from the, prior editions of the game and saying oh this new rule set totally works with it like and i've done that right i've converted things from first and second edition on the fly it, it's not that uh, it's not a challenge uh, if you're familiar with it and and so i what i want to see is something like that where it's like let's take fifth edition and do something special for it let's, mm-hmm. let's really showcase what makes it unique build up the inspiration mechanic really work backgrounds into something unique and special like they did in Ravica. um yeah, I'm right there with you. That'd be and awesome. I love the Forgotten Realms, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> there is so much of it that they're like, well, here's uh, Curse of Strahd, and it's actually a, a demiplane on the the Shadowfell, and that's how we'll make it work. And and uh, when I was at Gen Con, they were talking about Eberron and saying like they wouldn't allow Eberron to become a part of Fifth Edition until they could figure out lore wise how is, does it fit in with the Forgotten Realms. And it's like okay, well, there's this like weird spatial expanse between the Forgotten Realms and Eberron, and that's how we're going to justify it because it it has to be all one world. Like everybody's campaign is part of this this larger world. And I'm like, does it have to be? I mean, we're we're making up a game here. Like it's it's all pretend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and particularly without like reviving one of the meta settings like Spelljammer or Planescape that would provide a structure for linking all mm-hmm. these worlds together uh, themselves. So I, yeah, that seems to me to be like, but part of what makes Eberron unique is that it's a different cosmology yeah. and a different thing. So I'm, I'm happy for it to be, uh, you know, just its own thing. Same with like uh, Dark Sun, you know, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be difficult to get there. Otherwise people would just leave. Like they yeah. just open a gate and walk <laughs> walk to paradise, <laughs> you know. Uh, oh, there's so water so- over here? Excuse right. me. <laughs> These halflings aren't going to try to eat me. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I like that they're that they all have a, a different take on the cosmology of D&D because not everything needs to be the great wheel and the outer planes are like this and the inner planes are like that. You know, it could be, I don't know, we could revive fourth edition's cosmology and, and keep that as its own thing as well. So, yeah, I like that. There's room for a lot of different things. And it feels like things go, the, the creative um, bit world building goes in cycles too for them because you had the early stuff that's being driven by Gary Gygax and some of the different fantasy authors that they bring in during that time. So we get the start of Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, Dragonlance and all that cool stuff based on kind of like a lot of fantasy author kind of stuff. And then we get into third edition, moving towards fourth edition, you get the Monty Cook, the Bruce Cordell, you get the, you're kind of moving out into the planescapes and the dark suns. We're making it a little science weird, a little adding that stuff in, but then it kind of goes away again. And so I'm, I'm interested, what would be the creative team when you've got Jeremy and Chris and Mike Merles and they get to say, okay, this is our creative thing, not just redoing or making what, what they have seen before. So I think it'd be cool if they ever did get a chance. If they do, I don't know. We'll see. You have to, yeah have to find out so it's cool you're you are running a very fun um campaign right now um 
tell us a little bit about that because I'm sure some people have watched it, but mm-hmm. not everybody gets to gets to tune in live for four hours and, and oh, catch sure. the show. Uh, how's it been going? Where are you at in that campaign at the moment? How how's things going? We're so uh, Land Between Two Rivers is the game, fifth edition game that I run on um, our Twitch channel, WebBM uh, slash Twitch or Twitch slash WebBM or whichever one it is. Uh, <laughs> you just lost uh, half your audience. They went to the right, wrong link, yeah, so. like, <laughs> um, it, And so it's like Thursdays, I think it's like seven, uh, seven Eastern. And so it's a mishmash of all of my favorite parts of what inspires me about Dungeons and Dragons, what uh, what I love about the various settings of it. So it's it's like take the Mornland from Eberron and like all, you know, some of the flavor of Dark Sun and bring that over and, and mix it with like this, <laughs> some of these catastrophes that I inflicted on one of my homebrew worlds uh, as a result of TPK and, and players just deciding to not give a damn about the big quest and to do their own thing and be like, well, that means the bad guys win. All right, we'll just keep playing. And um, and so it's this weird, um, I, I call it like a, a science fantasy post-apocalyptic kind of setting where I, I want a mishmash of, is that magic? Is it science? Um, is it something in between? Um, and to couple that with a D&D setting that removes a lot of the traditional fantasy elements to make room for new ways of seeing <clears throat> new ways of seeing like orcs and goblinoids and gnolls and uh, the place of magic in the world. And to take uh, a world that used to be like chivalrous and, and trad fantasy, you know, and through player actions, it was ruined and destroyed and the drow got what they wanted and all the lithids got what they wanted. And the blood war took place there for a couple of centuries and, you know, is thoroughly wrecked and is now like Mad Max, somewhere between Mad Max, He-Man and, uh, you know, I don't know what else. <laughs> and uh, what else do you need? That really what else do you need? <laughs> and um, and also to uh, to take that and also I, I my DM philosophy for this one has been to not introduce anything in the world that doesn't demand to be interacted with by the players. And so it's been phenomenally easy <laughs> to prep for and and. I get ready to run this campaign because in the past it would have been like, oh, there's like how many villages out here? There's 3D6 in this hex alone. And like, God, they all need names. And I just, I dispensed with all that and instead went with like um, a, a, a an ethos of this needs to be playable. Like it doesn't matter that the villages here would have X amount of population density or whatever. Mm-hmm. It matters that there's a handful that are very iconic. And when you visit them, they they say something about the world that they have NPCs you want to talk to, or in the case of my campaign, flame strike because they're false prophets. And, and you have to <laughs> you have to deal with false prophets very harshly. Um, and then also have it react to the players in a way that feels satisfying to me, that like keeps it moving and things going on in the background. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. In, in session to session, it's more of a borderline evil game, I would say. <laughs> but we don't really do play with players long. or do the to DM. <laughs> Both, right? Like, yeah. it's a hell world. This place is bad. You know, people worship monsters because they're the only creatures out there that are that can protect them from other monsters you know uh or just a madman that can create water is like a you know dictator over the 30 people that they're able to supply water to it's it's not a pleasant place and so like they made characters who were you know 
drow tiefling assassin you know types or, or like lizard folk rangers that lead people off into the desert when they get lost they just come back and if there's meat there they'll eat it they'll take their stuff and sell it you know i didn't kill them i just got them lost <laughs> um, and and then of the last human to exist uh, is in the party um and it felt I, like really like a john yeah. carter of mars feel so, yeah. mm-hmm. when, mm-hmm. I, when i saw you pitching it at the very beginning i was like oh okay this is pretty cool it's john carter of mars is definitely on my um definitely on my mind uh we're doing we did we had a video a couple of weeks back on uh, our youtube channel like science fantasy and sort of inspirations for it and a lot of that is is baked into this and i just love it the the players i, I presented with sort of like this half-baked setting you know three pages basically of, of setting materials like here's a kind of a map some high points and stuff like does this interest you and then from there they would say like this is what interests me about that maybe there's like a society that my character is a part of and so it's also been a real collaborative process as all of the players have said something about the world you know in our session zero i asked them uh, tell me a secret about the world that only your character knows i mean by necessity that means the dm doesn't know it so Mm -hmm. i'm asking them to like tell me something about my own world the world we're going to play in that not even i know and um starting from like session zero very beginning with that uh, attitude has led to like this really great uh i'd say teamwork as sometimes i have no idea where we're going to go or what necessarily we're going to do they just play D and mm-hmm. it's weird and different and the next time they're going to have to be defending a bunch of devils from converting a celestial or like corrupting it and um you know they're gonna have to fight off a bunch of wastelanders who are trying to stop that because they're like we don't want this devil to you know it's that's a that's the sort of D we're playing now and i personally love it so it's great that's awesome what kind of uh like you were saying magic is science and things like that so do you have a wizard or a druid or a cleric in your party we had uh a beginning party was a barbarian um a ranger and then a druid cleric and bard Okay. So we only had, we didn't have any warlocks, uh, no wizards, no uh, sorcerers. And those were like the three classes that I really kind of formed the world around. In, in many ways, the, the world was sort of like, what if you really had to go out there and find your spells, wizards? Like, what if there was no one to teach you? What if you mm. didn't have a tutor? What if, what if the only thing you were was like this orc who's like third generation from the last time anyone ever saw a human picking through the buried ruins of a mage's tower? And you're like, this is a book of something. I, I know that the priests <laughs> back in the village tell me that if I find things like this, it's dangerous, but know, maybe the spell book has a, you know, uh, an enchantment on it that allows anyone to read it who opens it. Or maybe they run across something in the desert that, that makes a pact with them. And now they have all this power. And then um, that's sort of, I, I, I really thought a lot about how those three <laughs> classes would interact. And you, you might see sorcerers as being very dangerous. Like they're just born with this. They could just mm-hmm. do this. Like <laughs> they didn't have to work for it. They have to mm-hmm. sacrifice anything. Um, and then warlocks being very common. Um, and it, it, but then everybody, they went their own way with it. And so in a setting like that, I, I, I tend to think of all full casters as they're just mages and how they interpret their magic, how they present it uh, is, is up to them. And then I'll build things off of that uh and i also like to do other things where it's like oh you might know like you don't know find familiar but you know how to call a desert animal to your side 
and have it do something for you. So I like uh, magic that's between cantrip and first level and to like give it out as a reward or something like that as well. So it's I'm mixing and matching and doing all kinds of things, presenting magic items as technology and vice versa, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing. Is uh, the the do you have you have gods and stuff? I assume that see over this world, or have they abandoned this world? I'm really they curious about this campaign setting now. <laughs> they, yeah, George's like, I want in. I'm, I'm... <laughs> uh, they abandoned it long ago, which yeah. is part of why it's such a hellscape. Okay. Uh, in the context of the world, uh, this was my first third edition campaign uh, campaign world, and it was very like I was like, oh, I'm I only really know Warhammer, so it's like Warhammer with the serial numbers filed off, which is you know pastiche pastiche and the whole point of the game was um to stop this drow who was using vampiric magic from blotting out the sun mm -hmm. and around 16th level the party uh, allowed themselves to be convinced by one of their uh, members to attack a powerful ally a draconic wizard who was uh gonna help him but i was like oh it's third edition not all red dragons have to be evil like i'm gonna have a neutral red dragon in the in the game and they just couldn't resist the lure of Dragon Horde and attacked him. And after it, Simulacra killed half of them. <laughs> and it stepped out of the shadows of like, oh yeah, you like this thing melts into a pile of illusion and snow. And then the real dragon shows up. Uh, two of the party members immediately dropped their weapons, surrendered. <laughs> and the other one defiantly charged. I think I ate him or something. <laughs> and, and so it was just this... I, it was a weird moment for me campaign wise because I was like, well, the drow win. Like, they blot out the sun. The next time we play, it's like, you know, 100 years later, you guys are, it's your toast. Like, there's no sun. Like, it's a frozen wasteland. Mm -hmm. um, and then the end of that game had a bunch of uh, celestials and angels and, and all sorts of forces returning, overthrowing the drow, kind of like getting the world back in some kind of order. And uh, for Lamb Between Two Rivers, I just decided that process took like several centuries and thoroughly wrecked the place. And by the end of it, the gods were either dead or had just been like, this isn't worth it and went on to other, do other things. Um, and so it, it, no one in the party has been like, uh, you know, interested in finding out where the gods went. Uh, the one cleric in the party is a cleric of Baba Yaga, who I present as a wasteland spirit who is... Mm you know, harsh and, uh, you know, the like, but uh, no one's really gone and looked for any deities or anything, you know, if they do, we'll figure out something weird and messed up that happened to them, you know? Yeah. You need to run <laughs> a uh, mutant crawl classics game. See, I have, that's my <laughs> supplemental rule book. Okay. Mutant crawl classics is the rule book that I turn to when I need a quick ruling on like how this airship works uh -huh, okay. or what to do with this piece of technology. It's my hidden uh, supplementary EMG uh, <laughs> uh, for the campaign. <laughs> nice. I love it. Yeah. The way you were talking about, you know, magic is technology and stuff. And yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I buy, I buy the modules to mine for just ideas and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's, it's really fun. So that's present day Jim Davis, but oh, yeah. I feel like we need to know how did this whole thing start? How did Jim Davis oh, get God. into Dungeons and Dragons? Was it, or was it Dungeons and Dragons? Did you get into something else and get to Dungeons and Dragons or did it start with Dungeons and Dragons? It, it did not start with D&D. &D. Well, it, it, it started with D&D &D in the sense that uh, when I was around uh, you know, 10 or 11, um, the, I ride the school bus to uh, every morning and a group of us neighborhood kids would, just gather at the end of the street and one of them 
uh, who would eventually be my future dungeon master, had a monstrous manual from second edition. And that's got like all the Tony de la Terzi, uh, I always butcher his name, uh, art in it. Just the great, like iconic monstrous manual, the ecology sections and what these gnolls do all day. And uh, it's, um, it was great to just read. And so I was aware that there were these uh, games out there that did something with these imaginary creatures. Like they made a game of these make-believe things. Uh, but for me, it was Warhammer. My first game, role-playing game I ever played was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay uh, through HeroQuest. Mm -hmm. And so HeroQuest led to the supplements, which led to Advanced HeroQuest, which led to Warhammer Fantasy Battle. And even though I had presented, I had friends who invited me to a Dungeons & Dragons game. I showed the player's handbook uh, to my parents. I was probably like, you know, 11 or 12 like you know like still that age where you got to get permission to do anything and uh, <laughs> and they were they objected uh to uh, some of the you know more i don't know religious themes of the game i mm. guess it wasn't like a satanic panic thing they were actually just like oh you anyone can raise dead in this game like i don't think so that's something only jesus can do they're just like <laughs> it's make-believe uh and so instead they bought me <laughs> realms of chaos slaves to darkness <laughs> uh yeah. you know if you know it it's you know got yeah. the demon and yeah and they just <laughs> for whatever reason D D was the game to avoid and warhammer was fine and so we had the minis i had uh, fantasy role play i played the battles game um i ran through uh first game of enemy within just like by myself like I, I made four characters and just was like how do i do this what would yeah. this look like you're talking my language <laughs> you know yeah and then it was like i wrote my brother into it who was like seven and had no yeah. patience for any of this <laughs> and yeah. we'd just fight all the time about these games uh, and it wasn't until uh i found star wars western star wars uh, and then that led me to playing with friends who were you know uh, fans of star wars as well and uh, this entire time I'm also playing Warhammer 40k and Necromunda and all the uh, Games Workshop games and it isn't it wasn't until uh, my senior year of high school that I started working at a movie theater that uh, the aforementioned DM who would bring the monster manual also worked at as well as Pruitt, Travis, everybody and I'd like gone to school with them but I wasn't like friends with them through school it wasn't until I worked there and they ran a game after uh, the final movie was started. They'd all go in the manager's office and start playing D&D. They'd play till the morning, not sleep. The movie theater would open late. All the shows would be messed up. <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> <laughs> but who cared, right? Like we were playing D&D all night and, uh, you know, we're 18, 19 and, you know, typical antisocial neckbeard kind of gamers. Uh, <laughs> and that's my introduction was like the tail end of second edition I had flush with uh, cash, bought every book I could find, uh, and then when third edition came out, I you know I was I was ready to go, and it was um, it was also one of those moments where we would sit around and everybody would be like, man, it'd be awesome to play D and D. It was like eight of us, free time, flush with free time. It'd be great to play D and D, great to play D and D, and no one makes that step of saying I'll run a game. I just got so impatient to play. I was like, I'll run. I don't care. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me. Um, and I, that's how I found myself always running games. Um, yeah, yeah, basically. And that and the other DM in our group was a killer DM who was just a real hard ass. So <laughs> most people just didn't like playing in his games. I, I kind of yeah. felt bad, but I was like, hey, man, just I, I went through three characters in the first adventure. I, I, I'd rather not have to do that. Like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
Long that was at the top of my show notes was, <laughs> can we talk for hours about the love of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Editions 1 through 4? Because that's that was my book. And that was the one that I had D&D friends, but I couldn't convince them to play it. Like, they oh, just yeah. wanted to play mm-hmm. D&D. Yeah, they didn't I'm know. Like, yeah. No, this book's good. I'm like, you should read through it. And I loved it. And the coachman and Nolan, and you're going to fight the cultists in that very first adventure. I made characters myself played through it myself because yeah. i couldn't get my friends to play it and i was like but they'll play D. i could get into any D campaign i wanted but i was like no, i want to play warhammer <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's what it was for years the, the three games we played were D, western star wars and then whatever big uh white wolf game was out whatever the newest white wolf game was werewolf vampire whatever um we played that and i loved warhammer it had its own unique weird flavor i liked that it had guns in it I like that the demons seemed really scary and and really bad news and that it seemed to have an edge uh, to it. Um, I actually, fun story, I actually playing in my first Warhammer game ever. I've always run Warhammer. And in the second adventure, I had to spend my one fate point to keep my character from dying because they took one hit and it was like pierced heart. I was like, shit. Second (laughs) Keep my yeah, yeah. Fire. You roll them dice, it tells you where it hits, you can explode on damage. All of a sudden, stuff can go terribly wrong very quickly. It's so great. It's you're like so you lose an arm and you're like, what? What is going on here? Yeah. yeah. Um it sounds yeah, like Deadlands almost. Yeah. It's really, it's very uh very grim. I've played uh all of them but third. Um but yeah, I I and I bring a lot of that sensibility with me to my Dungeons and Dragons games. My you know, for years, um Emma, my partner and also part of webdm would complain about how grim dark my D was <laughs> just like everybody's an asshole and a cynic just like betraying it's like oh what are you gonna do like <laughs> how i mean if they all got along there wouldn't be an adventure <laughs> yeah for sigmar <laughs> yeah um, so that's cool. it's, it's always informed how i play uh i think because it was the first one very well, cool. it's story rich very story rich mm-hmm um, so land between two rivers, you, you're creating a lot of these campaigns and, and what have you are, have you ever thought of publishing an adventure that you wrote? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have, it's a, cause I mean, it I, sounds I, really cool and you're developing a whole bunch of stuff. Like I want to play in <laughs> land between two rivers. Like I want a campaign setting book. <laughs> I, I I'll send you the primer that I sent uh, the group, uh, oh, okay. here in a bit, <laughs> but, uh, I have a lot of like scattered stuff. Uh, part of the thing for me that I, I, uh, work on now that I didn't use to so much is organization. Uh, I used to just like, here's my spiral notebook, whatever chicken scratch ends up in it is how I planned. And it's always forward and never back. <laughs> you know, that's how I used to run games. And it was fine for the four or five people that I, you know, the friends that I play with, we had mm-hmm. seven hours and you could take 20 or 30 minutes to be like, Oh, Hey, let me think about this thing. Somebody go grab some food. Y'all take a smoke break, whatever it is. But um, we only have like three hours to play and there is a a participatory or performance component to it. I've had to feel like, well, I don't want to spend all my time prepping, but I do want to have what I, uh, what I need at hand. So it's, it's, um, it's weird. I find myself being very productive and in a different way, but the thought of like publishing is a a weird mental thing for me because I'm just like, I'm not a writer And, and it's sort of like, am I even any good at this? Um, I don't know. I maybe we'll see. Maybe uh, <laughs> is this Ooh, that sounds like a hint. Talking yeah, about the like yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. It's right. coming out twenty nineteen December. No, 
the the streaming aspect of D and D has changed the hobby a lot. Um, yeah. And obviously, like, what do you, what are the aside from a performance aspect? Like, how are you prepping games differently from uh, a, a game you're just going to play with your friends as opposed to this performance aspect? Like, you you're mm. presenting something for someone to consume that obviously changes your mental faculty for it i believe or does it or does it yeah i i I try not to let it too much i I don't usually have the stream open i don't usually have the chat open i really want it to be me and the players Mm -hmm. and then whatever comes out of that if it's enjoyable great if not i'm i personally am not here to like be a performative gm i'm I'm just here to kind of put my money where my mouth is you know i'm a i do dm advice you might as well be able to watch me dm (laughs) and as long as i'm going to do it i'm going to do as gonzo weird uh, you know kind of game as i can i gave players a cubic gate at level nine because it's like i want you guys to get in trouble with those six points like go to them i want to prep an adventure for you guys in mount celestia like that (laughs) that's uh so that's how i think and Mm -hmm. For me, that was a, a personal shift uh, a few years ago that I've grown and developed where I would look at things like, man, that almost always prove it, would become some overpowered, can kill my monster in one hit sort of monstrosity that he found online somewhere. And all I could think of was like, how do I rein this in? Like, how do I stop this? And the moment that it became uh, different for me was how do I make this work for the game? and accept the fact that Pruitt wants to just do buckets of damage <laughs> and that that's going to be a challenge, you know, that I, and not just him, all, most of my players are optimizers in some way. And, um, and accept that that's part of the challenge and also accept that like the uh, inconsistency of it is part of the deal. Some nights were off. I felt like I did a crap job last week. Mm-hmm. Like we played a couple nights ago and I would describe it as like one of my worst nights of gaming. You know, but the party explored a, a village that had been taken over by devils. They made some deals with some devils. I got to role play sort of off the cuff, a variety of like different infernal, you know, fiends and the like. It, it was really uh, fun in that respect. And a lot of it I had to come up with on the fly. Um, so I, I think the long winded answer is that I, I want it to be engaging for the players. And so I want my NPCs to come alive. I want my settings to come alive. I want there to be interesting things to do. And I hope that translates into something people enjoy watching or, or can get something out of. I know when I'm running uh, a lot of my campaigns, because I'm having lots of like, almost like you're saying, like, I'll, I'll be hot and I'll be cold. I'll feel like, ah, I, I kind of didn't do what I thought I could do there. Like I stumbled in an NPC conversation all of a sudden, or I didn't oh, yeah. do it voice or you know whatever it might be because you see a lot of other really good dms out there that and you kind of hold yourself to yeah all kinds of crazy standards um so i I wonder too do you feel do you feel like when you make a mistake how hard are you on yourself about this or you know are you just able to brush off say hey you know sometimes we make mistakes i'll just come back next week and do it or are you the kind of person that really just kind of dives in on yourself and say man why did i do that what what was going on there why did i make that uh, no, I, I uh, maybe I used to uh, be real harsh uh, and critical, uh, but but certainly not anymore. If I forget something, I'll text a player. So like, hey, we did that. You know, when the, this interaction happened with the thing, I forgot to mention X Y Z. I think this is relevant to your character. Uh, we in Lamb Tree Two Rivers, uh, one of the players, T K Johnson, takes pretty extensive notes in a shared document that we all have. And part about what's great about their notes is you 
I can go back in and clarify something. And I can also go in and read what uh, at least they think. picked up and like, oh, that's what they thought this was about. Yeah, Maybe that's even better what I thought it was going to be in presenting it. And we just sort of, we all kind of agree not to investigate the cracks. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that part of this whole thing is that you're putting this together as it goes. And so it's going to be rough around the edges and you smooth it out in play. But, you know, if, if digging into inconsistencies and weirdness and sort of like it was this way last week and this way this week or something minor changed, then I'm not your dungeon master. There's mm-hmm. other dungeon masters out there for you. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you so feel I, like your campaigns went from this was Jim Davis's world and here's all this stuff I'm telling you to now start bringing in player agency as you've gotten, you know, years have gone on and you're like, now I want them to help me build the world. It's not just my world definitely, and it's, definitely. I'm doling it out to them. I'm actually letting them, Hey, what's the name of that village? You guys can do that. Is that how you feel where you're moving to in your, your GM career now? Yeah. And it's a, it's a balance that I, I, I shift even session to session mm-hmm. and it, uh, you know, it began, I would say, you know, years ago, decade or more, where it was just sort of like, oh, you like this thing about whatever, like, I'm going to include it in my world. Or, you know what, I haven't thought at all about the plays of monks in my setting, why don't you fill it in? Mm-hmm. And it started like that. It started as, man, I'm pressed for time, I just don't know, or I can't come up with anything compelling. You do it. Mm-hmm. And then over time, it's grown into more active in the session, in the moment, uh, using different techniques. There's one I learned from the Gauntlet, which is a, a podcast network that they talk about like indie games and OSR uh, games. And uh, one of the DMs there, Jason, has this uh, thing where he's like, he asks players to tell them what their character sees about a setting that's significant. And so you set the frame, you say like, hey, um, you know, example I used from Land Between Two Rivers was this. Uh, an enemy had invaded their home, and a lot of the peoples that they would otherwise consider their sort of uh, friends or allies or, you know, fellow citizens uh, were refugees, basically. And so I was like, you guys arrive at the, the headquarters of this druidic order. Around it is this uh, chaotic but, but uh, you know, not squalid uh, camp of refugees tell me what your character sees that stands out to them or is notable about this scene so i've set the parameters they're not going to go bring in something that's crazy or doesn't fit the tone mm-hmm. um, but they get a moment to describe something about the game and participate and contribute and you can do that with a lot of things you know what is it that a fellow player does or a fellow character does that really annoys you what is it about this four-week journey that's just gotten on your ever-last nerve? Mm-hmm. And that throws a lot of those moments in the game where as a DM, you're struggling to come up with evocative language and how do I present this thing and what does it look like and how do I get my players to give a shit? And when you open that space up to everybody, you really, all those, all those things that, that causes a lot of GM's anxiety that you're maybe over there like doing a lot of work to prevent uh, can be eased by saying, Hey guys, there's five of us here. Surely we can come up with something better than just me. And um, I still maintain that traditional structure of the DM having control of the pacing of the game. It's still D and D right. We're not getting rid of the GM over here. Like some games. (laughs) Diceless. Right. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that they exist. If you have fun with them, more power to you, but they're not my games, (laughs) but I like, I like the shared experience of it. So I, I like giving up some of uh, some of the DMs traditional uh, control there to the players. It's fun. And really they seem to like it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it creates a, 
uh, investment in the world when you mm-hmm. have your players do that. Um, and that's something that I really like to use at the table. But I feel like some of my players are not as creative as they think they are or want to be but at the same time you you just kind of like oh that's a great idea let's let's build on that does anyone else at the table want to like it's a muscle like anything it's a skill you know and and to expect yourself to be like instant creative and come up with the most unique thing all the time first off god like why pressure yourself like that jeez yeah second off that's what random tables are for that's what <laughs> that's what the blogosphere that encompasses all of D and not and then just the hobby in general is for um but it's also like other people you start out with something and then someone else goes oh yeah what if and or you could build on it and say like mm-hmm. oh but maybe this thing and uh i personally do that with a lot of the things i introduce in the campaign where i'll think about something and then you just I let it sit and I try to forget about it and then come back later and go all right well I wanted it like this but what can I do to make it different and then at least two or three times so that you can take a cliched idea and work it enough so that it's uh fresh and new and different that's the same thing with players coming up with stuff off the table and you know you got a player at your table who's new at this and they're trying to come up with it you know help them encourage them mm-hmm. um other players as well you're like oh yeah i really like that what if it what if it looked like this as well or it did this thing or you know you add to the description of it um yeah it can bog down play it, you're not going to get through combat as fast or you're going to drag through a shopping scene uh or something but like what are you in a hurry for yeah <laughs> you know this is the game you're playing and this is the moment you're in like make it come alive uh, and make it be something special uh and then you worry less about like god i gotta get through this combat or get through this thing or they have to do this thing it's just you know, let it sit uh, for a while but you know, i don't know i don't know I, I can ramble on and on about it <laughs> uh, so. well speaking of dm and dungeon master advice uh you guys your whole yeah. show is based upon this like just mm-hmm. helping dungeon masters and players and what have you um yeah. and i i you probably you obviously saw the tweet because we're out there saying hey does anybody have questions for jim on the show i and saw some a, of them <laughs> a couple of them were well most of them were actually really good and one stuck out to me just kind of as we're talking about um, players and dungeon masters and, and i think this also last week on the saturday morning D show we were talking about the challenge rating and how it's kind of broken for fifth edition mm-hmm. but uh smug coffee man he asked a really good question where how do you how do you threaten your players without becoming adversarial and uh-huh. it made me think of your simulacrum dragon like in especially <laughs> that sense like how do you just smash your players and then not walk away from the table being like well i killed you all I i'm win. the dungeon master yeah, i win yeah, yeah. I, I i try i i try deliberately not upset, set up situations like that and so there's a lot of times with dms you can over prep a thing particularly an encounter you mm-hmm. know and it's like oh this effect's gonna do that and it's gonna have this and it's gonna have these special abilities and then you start to go like well all right well where are the pcs in this where you know they are the unknown element here so i um i try to be very clear about the about the intentions of my NPCs in moments of high tension. So an example in Land Between Two Rivers, a, a few weeks back, um, the party had been pursuing an assassin who'd attempted to kill one of the players. And I was very clear with them at that time when I was like, I am an assassin, my character's an assassin. They are trying to kill you. I just failed. I didn't roll enough damage. You survived. They're pissed. Plan B. And so the plan B was to lure them out into a location in the desert and to hire just as many gross, badass desperados as they could to take on the party and just like trap them and ambush them in this town. 
uh, and they did, they just got the wrong one. One of the players, my brother's uh, Druid, uh, Blue, who I've made a whole custom Druid class for that reflected like this Druid of the Wastes who's, you know, whose connection to the land was one of like anger and rage and they could spend their hit points to do extra damage. Nice. And I fingered of death him and it did double his max HP. Oh, and he dead. <laughs> and he only had like 12 hit points left because he'd gotten caught in a wall of fire. I'd already dropped one of the PCs to zero. This was they were like ninth level. And I according to Kobold Fight Club, this would have been a triple deadly fight. Mm-hmm. Um it was like a blue slod, a uh who was it, an ogre mage. And then some other custom, like I built some NPCs and that stuff to him. But it was a tough fight. And I was very clear. It was like, yeah, they are trying to kill you. The, you she is your enemy. The, the assassin is has a, you know, you are her target. These are the people she's hired to. And it was tough. Uh, it, it was surprised all of us. I didn't, none of us knew it was going to happen. Um, and afterwards, I, I was when the, the game was over and we were just kind of like backstage chatting, I was like, yeah, I let the player know. I let Josh know, hey, first off, this is D&D, right? death is a at ninth level death is an inconvenience if you want it to be he was itching to play a new character so he decided that the character would uh would you know wouldn't be resurrected but i was very clear it's like this is what the logic was with you know why they were trying to attack you and the particular enemy that had cast the finger of death had fought them a couple of sessions earlier and it tried to banish uh the driver of an air skiff that they were on and so it would be like, yeah, your driver's banished. That skiff goes tumbling. And I'm always very clear that there's no seats, <laughs> no siding. It's a, it's like a flat truck <laughs> driven by an air elemental <laughs> <laughs> uh, that they speed across the desert with. And uh, it, they've had a wreck once and it was not pretty. Um, and so I, I just try to be clear with that. And I might even say as in the act, in that moment, as I, as I'm performing the action, uh, my Noel Warlock, with malice and and you know with lethal intent in his eyes, casts a necrotic spell at you. You know they are trying to kill you, mm-hmm. or this horde of zombies is going to stop and eat downed characters. And maybe I demonstrated on an NPC or you know piece of set dressing, basically. And that's how you convey those things to the players, and then you sympathize with them. You don't gloat. You don't. Oh, I got that crit. Screw you. Kind of attitude, and it's. You know, there's a bit of humility in DMing non-adversarially, but still in a challenging way, because you want to make sure that the players, if they're into challenging combats or whatever, uh, even if they're not, like, sometimes it can be fun. Not every fight, because it just gets stressful. Uh, But um, it's it's how you present it. And if you don't gloat, you're you're not a a sore winner. Uh, You don't um, rub it in the players' faces. And you make sure that they have an out when an outcome happens that they really don't want, but might be still not narratively, you know, satisfying or something that you're able, you have some flexibility, you know? Yeah, well, you're not dead, but we're going to roll on that injury chart from the DMG or... Um, you know, you're you're out of the count for a while. It's going to take a while for you to recover, or you're changed in some way mm-hmm. uh, by the experience. Um, that that'd be how I would approach it. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah, I've seen lots of lots of shows. Lots of I mean, we do it on our show. You guys do it on your show. There's many other my, Matt Colville and all the other shows that are trying to help with new dungeon masters that are coming out. Really, because the hobbies exploded with new people saying, Hey, I'm willing to run a game. And there's a shortage of DMS because of it, right? Yeah, like there's, right. yeah, it's a daunting task that there's very little 
any instruction for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Though. No, no. And 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 now they're they're also like thinking, well, maybe I'll stream my game with my friends, or maybe I'll put some cameras on it. And there's all this kind of stuff going on. But oh. there's always still the dungeon master, I think, that's out there. That's the new one who is, I'm getting ready for my game, but I don't want to run it yet because I'm not ready enough. And so it keeps going on, it keeps going on, and then maybe it never happens. So when I see a lot of advice from a lot of us that have been doing it now for a while, we always seem to say, well, how much prep do you need to do? And we always come up with, well, you can improvise this, and I just kind of run with it this way. But I wonder, do we? is that the what a brand new DM should be hearing? Because if you're going to say you need to improvise everything, doesn't that really put more anxiety on them to say, well, wait a minute, I have to come up with all of this on the fly now? I don't, uh, you don't. On a prep because you well, and, and they probably are under the mistaken assumption that and Im- being improv and sort of coming up with on the fly requires you to prepare a bunch ahead of time so that you have a big palette. And I, my, I, you know, it, this is something that I, the longer I do this, my answer changes. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've shot a video for like new DMs, and I think if I was to do it again, I'd give different advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now it would be uh, the classic start with a location, start with a dungeon, populate the dungeon. That works for a certain style of play, but I'm not sure it works for gamers who are coming in through streaming. I think it works for an older crowd. I think it can work for people who, who, uh, you know, might come in through more traditional means to the hobby. Um, And it might work for people who come in through streaming, right? Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I would say pick if you're if you do dungeon master pick something that inspires you something that you just like are chomping at the bit to do is there a movie or a tv show or a story that that really uh, excites you is there a way that you can take that and make it your own using the tools uh, that you might have the basic set of rules is free right like just use the start with that no buy-in pressure no nothing and uh digest the rules enough you know, you, the, the, you know what you need to know what a D twenty is. You need to know how characters' abilities work. All everything else can be learned through play. You don't need to know it all ahead of time, but you should read the rules, right? It, it's about a balance because I think that a lot of new DMs see this advice and it's presented as absolutes. You must do this. You must do that. You got to read the whole rule book first. Fuck, there's three of them. And there's, you know, you might have a day job or two of them or kids or a family or school or whatever. Um, you don't need all that. That's there when you, when you need it. That Those rules are there if you feel like you need a rule to go to to check it out. And what you really just need is to know how the D20 works, the, you know, the difficulty modifiers, DC 10, 13, 15, and the like, how player stuff works, and then to have an idea of a problem you're going to throw at them, a situation you put them in. Let them work through that. Let them play through that. Work through the implications of it. Uh, I, one thing I like about Dungeon World and other Apocalypse World style games is the you're playing to see what happens. And don't put pressure on yourself to get it to a different place or to feel like you need to steer it in a certain direction. A, a lot of the bad behaviors of DMing, I think, stem from that idea of needing, to, of feeling the need to deliver a specific experience. Your bar as a dungeon master is way high compared to a player's bar for a satisfying experience, for one. And um, it's a learning experience. If all of you are learning, then the first time you guys play, it might be just kind of silly. You might think you're not doing it right or it's weird. Guess what? It's kind of like how you, anything that you, <laughs> that you try for the first time. Keep at it. Build on what happened the last session. Think about the implications of events that happened. Think about the choices that the players made. 
think about their characters and and what they uh, are telling you about what they want out of the game did they all make fighters chances are they want to play a monster fighter game and that's guess what either you're going to run that game or you're going to run the game you want to run and they're either going to have to make new characters or deal with that it's best if you just kind of talk it all out but it's a conversation that's ongoing not a thing you have to have locked down before you can do it again um another example from my own sort of experience this last year is land between two rivers i had it cooking for two years it is it's gone through it's eight different maps (laughs) <laughs> before I, I finally was like all right this is the last one it's shaped uh, like know. a boot finally <laughs> i figured it out <laughs> you know uh, all different backstories for the world what it was like how it was going to be put together and uh, finally it was just it, it required uh having some players who were like we want to run a game and me going like well i've been thinking about this i'll just run this game and then three months later starting up land between two rivers before it came alive and and all of that most of that prep in those two years is uh, I'll use it somewhere else or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's where I would start. Find what inspires you. Don't worry so much about it. Strike a balance between what you have time for and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, how much complexity you want to add right now. And enjoy the ride. Cause it's, enjoy it's great ride. that there's so many people coming in and there's lots of new people and lots of enthusiastic players mm-hmm. that are out there. And I always, I think the one piece of advice I always like to give out to any brand new dungeon master, game master, whatever game player you're saying, they're there. The players that you've gathered want you to succeed. They're, Everybody so they're going to help you. Like yeah. it's, it's a big team effort. They're all there to have fun. Let them help you have fun doing it too. Don't feel like it's all on your shoulders. Yeah. And if you have somebody in your group who is not that in that t- team spirit, that's when you, that's when you find a, a moment to just say, Hey, we're trying to play yeah. a game over here. <laughs> are, are you not feeling it? Do you need to go do something else? Um yeah, you know, there's a lot of pressure and it'd be flippant to say, oh, well, I just learned by myself, right? Like we just made characters on our own and solo played for years before we had to control family members into, you know, that kind of thing. And that was one way to do it. And guess what? The tools necessary to make this information easily available didn't exist back then. They exist now. Let's take advantage of them. And so there's a way to do it uh, that doesn't put so much pressure on you and, you know, if you're watching a big stream, if you're watching like Critical Role or Dice Camera Action or, you know, any of the other like big streams, you might think it's got to be a certain way, but no, it doesn't. It can be X's and O's on a notebook paper and, you know, <laughs> post-it note character sheets around a coffee table and it's still D&D. You'll yeah. still have a good time. Yeah. I remember like just starting being a dungeon master. Cause I was the same way. Like I, I was so anxious to play that I couldn't find anyone to run the game. So I'm like, I guess I'll run the game mm-hmm. and to prep for this. I got two really good friends. Well, the, my wife now, but at the time we were just dating and another friend. And I said, I don't understand this game. I think I made a dungeon. There's monsters in it. Can we just walk through it? And they were like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. And so we did, we rolled dice and I learned how to play and they learned how to play. And I learned how to dungeon master. And it was just a really simple, fun experience and so mm-hmm. that's, I guess, my two cents is just start small like that. Like, it doesn't sure. have to be like, I've got eight of my friends and mm-hmm. it's going to be a Matt Mercer show and this is going to be fantastic. Like, just you want to yeah. dive in, right? Like part of the fun is the backstories and everything. And and I think like indulge in that, you know, if it's not a burden. Yeah. But like, just think of a thing. Think of a problem for them to solve and then a, a problem that might build off of that. And that's you'll it will escalate 
and it you know it'll it'll build um especially if you if, you know if you're able to kind of like sit and look at what the players gave you and make see how they all uh, fit together and then fill in the blanks that's basically it. that's even advanced you don't even need to know to do that at the beginning that's like four days later <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i always like the, the the one thing i heard matt colville will say quite often is he'll say uh prep as long as you're having fun so prep as yep. much as you're having fun and the minute whatever prep you're yep. doing isn't fun anymore just stop just stop. you're done you've got everything you need <laughs> i like yep. that idea what is do you got like um are you do you think you yourself is a good example of a brand new dungeon master to say okay i'm gonna go watch your campaign online or i'm gonna watch the stuff jim's doing and that's a really good way to be a dm or do you point them at somebody and say, hey, I know you like what I do, but you know who I think is a really good first kind of DM or person to look at? I like the way they do it this way. Like if it was for me, I look at Jerry Holkins from Acquisition Inc. And I'm like, man, if you could ever do a game and run a game like he runs it, he's really cool. Do what he does. Don't necessarily do it the way I do it. Do you like what he Do you got something like that? Or do you feel like you're a good example of what a new new DM would run? Gosh, I, I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I don't really have enough time to get like a lot of experience with other, uh, <laughs> other DMing styles. I would say this, here's what I offer new DMs is an attitude of this game is mine and I'm going to make it whatever I want. I'm not beholden to canon. I'm not beholden to the rules. It's all uh, uh, up for grabs. And if what attracts you to this is making something your own of creating a, a world or space or, you know, anything, then breaking out of the mindset of how should this go versus how do I want this to go or how does my group want this to go is probably the better question yeah. um, is, is what I think what I offer because I'm, I'm, I, I run things in a very eclectic way. Every campaign I run is different. I prep for it differently. I structure the sessions differently. I just do. Every game is, is different in that way. And even sometimes session to session, how I prep and prepare and present everything is different. So you might pick up some techniques and things from me. I'm not a very consistent person, so that's my bad. Uh, but I, I, I am willing to jump in the deep end of this game and to say, you know what? it's fine. We'll figure it out. And the best way to say, uh, play test something is to just start playing. The best way to try something out is to just start doing it. If there's something in one of those books that you're like, man, I can't wait to get this. It sounds like that needs to be in your next session. And that's sort of my attitude and mindset. And, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're looking to like make this game and this hobby, like something you just love and want to live and breathe, then maybe there's something there for you. But I also think a new player or a new dungeon master could get something out of it, even if it's not like what I would recommend that they do. Mm -hmm. you know? Cool. I know. Uh, well, we've got like two minutes left, so I'll ask one last quick question. Sure. But uh, <laughs> and this was also from Twitter. Um, but you primarily are a dungeon master, and I think if I heard correctly, watching all of your videos, that you prefer to be a dungeon master over being a player. Mm -hmm. um, that being said. Uh, when you do get a chance to play, is there is there like a back pocket character that you've been sitting on for a long time that you're just kind of like, I've wanted to play this and I never had the chance? Or or do you craft, like, 
I sit at work when I'm bored and I'll make a Dungeons and Dragons character and I'll put it in this file. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if I ever, if somebody ever approaches me with a one shot, then I go to that file and I grab that character and I'm like, oh yeah, I can finally play that kobold rogue that I've been sitting on. Uh, especially with D&D Beyond and you just like yes. <laughs> do it and it just sits there and you're like, oh, I've got to clear out my characters, not enough space. Um, yes, I've, so I've got two that I really want to do. One of them I've had a chance to play in a one shot. They are a red dragon shadow sorcerer. Red Dragonborn Shadow Sorcerer. I wanted to play like a shadow dragon cursed uh, to spend the the rest of their life as a mortal. Uh, so the, I, that's like just a I used that as an NPC once. Uh, it actually made the Blue Medusa sort mm. of a, a take on one of the NPCs there, and I was like, I want to play that character. I want to play a dragon who's like, yeah, you, you got to be mortal now. Uh, and to me, they were uh, a Red Dragon Shadow Sorcerer because I like the blend of those two uh, those two things. The Shadow Sorcerer is great. Yeah. Uh, sorcerer. Um, the other one is a I want to get as close to a versatile utility caster using Warlock as I can get like I just want to see how it would work Mm -hmm. to go like pure arcanist like how many spells can I get how much magic can I squeeze out of this class I don't want to do a gimmick I don't want to have a thing where I multi-class with another thing and do a bunch of weird stuff to get an effect with whatever I just want to be like a pure Warlock you know, something probably like Archfey or something like that. Um, but I'll be honest at this point in my, I, 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 I really am just kind of like, I'll play 20th level D and D. That's my favorite D and D to play. Mm-hmm. I, I got my 20th level character who I, I just, I ready to go. I know how to play them. It's easy to play a barbarian at 20th level. I have to think too much about it. Uh, <laughs> and it's a style of play I really like. So that's really my, I, I can never get enough of my, auto crater the 20th level barbarian <laughs> that's yeah that's my real answer <laughs> well thank you so much jim for coming on uh this was just a, a great the hour flew by so it was awesome know, to have right? you on uh you can find webdm through any google search engine just type webdm and i'm sure you'll sure. come up there um, they've got the very popular uh youtube channel they're on twitter and all that other stuff so follow them watch their videos especially if you're a new dungeon master or an experienced dungeon master i always seem to pull something new from your videos that i, I watch them every time that they change come out. Uh, thank you very much yeah change my mindset of more or what have you about whatever game i'm currently running so yeah any final thoughts before we take off no like my the ones that really drive me good are the meta met, the when you're talking about meta gaming i always get into those videos i'm like oh i want to be on that conversation but go, uh, go ahead yeah, yeah yeah they're they're fun conversations especially meta gaming uh final thoughts i you know i love talking about dungeons and dragons if you guys catch me online anywhere i'm i'm happy to answer questions i know these kinds of shows always go by very quickly and everybody's uh, got something so yeah i had a uh, list if, of twitter questions and i got to two of them, so. some of them. <laughs> um but uh yeah check us out we're doing we're always trying to improve uh our stuff over there and this latest batch of shows i'm particularly proud of because we're uh changing some stuff with our creative process for like how we develop ideas and present them and um i'm, I'm really proud of these so nice. yeah they started this past week with uh the appearance of Trogdor, my spawn, as uh, <laughs> in the intro, and we'll only uh, continue uh, from there. So, yeah, there we go. It's a great time. I love, I'll be back anytime, guys. This is great Oh, combo. thank you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> We'd love to have you back. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for watching the Saturday Morning D&D show. Uh, Lucian, any final thoughts before we go? Nope. Thanks for joining. Thanks for the All guest, right. Jim. You're always welcome anytime you want to come back. And everybody, have a wonderful Saturday morning, and we'll see you in the next one. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. 
Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.